Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran Kansas City jazz saxophonist Christopher Burnett on the 2022 CD, The Standards, Volume 2, live at the Drum Room in Kansas City. The Christopher Burnett Drum Room Quartet was a featured performer on the first Saturdays of the month, beginning shortly after the newly renovated hotel and jazz venue opened at 14th and Baltimore in downtown KC. Chris played these dates with a core group of various artists like Will Matthews, James Ward, Roger Wilder, William Crane, Dr. Michael Pagan, Michael Shanks, Jeff Harshbarger, Craig Aitken, and the great Brandon Draper during a two-year residency during the years 2006-7. He gets into the history of this very fabled institution, the lore and reality of it all. Dig this interview. You're putting out new material. I'm really excited about this. I've had a chance to really listen to it. You know, the drum room has so much history. So before we get into kind of the history and the lore that goes in to one of the sacred places in Kansas City, talk to me a little bit about this project, how it came about, just kind of your general feelings. Well, it's stuff I had in a can, they call it, I guess. You know, I had I had those recordings. We uh, We did those recordings live there, as you know during the residency, and I, I think you're aware that I had a two-year residency on uh, the first Saturday of the month, similar like I did with Black Dolphin. Basically, at that time, though, I was just trying to get places to play, and I was pretty naive about the realities of of how much you did not play as a musician out here and, and, and the, the lack of places to play. Where I came from the military, I was used to always playing, you know, and uh, the drum room provided me with uh, one Saturday. There were four of us that they chose to be featured artists. Myself, Everett Devan, uh, I forget the guy's name. He had a, I forget the name of the group, but they were a group that did like period jazz and then Megan Birdsall. So there were four of us, and I felt in good company because I knew who Everett Devan was, and I was like the Everett was like his B three sounding group and stuff like that 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 groove groove jazz, you know, and I was like modern jazz progressive stuff, you know. They want they gave me the freedom to play that way, as you hear on the record, and then uh, the. They they sound like big bad voodoo daddies or something like that. I forget the name of the group. This guy has it together. It's very organized, good charts. They played, and I think they're still doing things. They may not be, but I think they're still doing things around the area. Then Megan Birdsall with her vocal jazz. So I had the first Saturday, and the way I would do it, I had a group of musicians I would work with at a certain level who really I could just, say I want to play this tune and just start playing and they could play we didn't have to have charts we didn't have to go into oh that you're not doing what you should be doing or you can't play the changes or you don't know this tune it we I just on all those recordings you hear you know we had a set list and I would just start playing or I would count it off and we would just start playing and we would build their arrangement spontaneously and they were they were tunes that 
still to this day, like a lot of people don't play a lot of that music. You don't hear too many people playing Nefertiti or Black Narcissus or or Triste even. I mean, because there, there's a lot of things involved with the harmony. Just like on the, the studio standards album, I play Dolphin Dance, things like that, and and people don't play those tunes. And the reason they don't play them, I think, and I've learned, or I interacting with the scene at all levels, education and uh, performance, you know, they're not something that can be background music someplace or they're not something that will fit the typical venue that that live music is presenting in a gigging context. Whereas a musician context, we all love all that music. I mean, and there are places like Westport Coffeehouse where cats will get to play music like that. But the typical venue, they don't really play that type of music, you know. And and it's not, uh, it wasn't common back then either. So that, I had a friend, I still have a friend, he's the vocal music uh and department chair at Paseo Academy of Fine and Performing Arts now, named uh, Will Thornton, who has his own studio. And then he has this portable professional studio rig that he brought to the the drum room. And I asked the cast, I said, I'd like to record this. You know, I don't know if we're going to get anything, but I'd like to record it and eventually put out. Oh, there's, oh, no problem, you know. Go ahead. We don't care, you know. And... uh after all of these years, I started listening to it again, and I said, this is actually pretty good. And a person that really uh, encouraged me to do that before he passed away was uh, Bill Crane. You know, uh, we were recording that, the Standards album where I did a lot of, a lot of the arrangements. Those are really written out arrangements and, and really a nice studio record. And uh, he goes, you know something, Chris, I really liked what you were doing at the drum room. And I said, oh, okay, I didn't know if anybody would remember that stuff. I said, it's a lot different than this. Well, he goes, yeah, yeah, you were doing some really progressive stuff. He says, why did you stop playing like that? I said, well, because I could, I could not get hired any place to play like that. I could not, I could not get musicians who, you know, if I couldn't get certain piano players, I could not play like that. Does that make sense? And and it wasn't really, I wasn't totally the avant-garde, free jazz person, and I wasn't totally the, you know, I'm going to play uh, all of me all evening or something like that. I was like in this world where it, theoretically I understood how how chord progression worked to the degree that you could actually do informed composition during a piece and substitute and all of that stuff. It wasn't about playing licks that you learn in college or something like this. It was about actually manipulating the music harmonically and melodically, as you hear, not to the point that you're destroying harmony like like a lot of times in free jazz, that's what you're doing. But it was taking... uh, progressions and uh, harmonic cadences and understanding how you can use those to get to what is one in any situation. And when you play with people like, on that record, Mike Pagan's on those, uh, 
when you play with him, he's an orchestra. I mean, he hear, hears exactly what you're doing, and then he can innocently do that too. Roger Wilder is another. That's the reason I always I, I always play with Roger or Mike because I don't have that fight or I don't have that I don't have to nurture during a gig or feel like I'm nurturing to what a person is is doing or they're not just uh, bullying what they want to do. It's not a uh, it's not a uh, it's a conversation in a sense as you you can hear that music it's a conversation between four people and then James Ward he's probably one of my favorite bass players to play but he's so busy he's got his own project and he's in the into the contemporary thing more than he is into the straight edge thing but he can as you can hear he can play straight edge jazz as well as any bass player and his intonation is impeccable he he's got perfect pitch you know so uh he can react to whatever's going on and then Michael Shanks a lot of people don't know Michael because shortly after that run we did at the drum room, Mike uh, basically he started doing uh, touring with these ships that went around playing music and doing other stuff that wasn't really here local. So he was able to support himself and his family in a different way than just trying to do gigs, but he was still doing his music. So and and as you hear, he he was like a student of Todd Strait, I say, and a disciple of Todd Strait. So he plays very well technically, and he knows all the grooves, knows everything, and can do whatever needs the music calls for. So we had four improvisers in that group, and we used the uh, the standards that that I called up as vehicles to present that music so that's why you would you'll hear certain things going on and and for a live recording i thought that thornton captured everything pretty well and you get the ambiance like you're there but you also hear all of the music as well and it's not uh distracting when you hear people laughing at their table having a good time things clinking in the background or, you know, somebody, yay, clapping their hands, and a couple of people say, oh, I like that, or, wow, that's one of my favorites you guys do, or whatever. Those types of things are in there. We we were there recurring enough, and this is what I think, I think most musicians, from my observation, I've been back home over 20 years now. We came back in 2001. All that story is in the liner notes, which are available on the website, all the things I'm talking about are depicted there about the backgrounder of, of where I was at that point in my career and what I was doing. And then it fast forwards to now what I'm still doing. But the, the big thing about playing regularly with the same group of people or the similar group of people is you do become an ensemble, not just a bunch of great players that you pull together to do a gig and you know that music sound, can sound good but there's a difference when you are a band and that's that's what this group became it became a band i i always have mike on drums i generally have roger or mike pagan on piano and i generally always have james ward so that became like the the standards quintet it became like this ensemble of core people and we had our own personality and we worked within that with with respect to the music 
but a lot of people don't get to do that. And if you don't get, if you don't play enough to experience that, you don't know that that universe exists. And I was talking with Dr. Jared Pro. I help out here at the high school as an artist in residence for Woodwinds and as a jazz clinician. And we were talking about that with his students. You know, he he started out. We've been working together, I think, about five or six years now. But he's at a point where he's rebuilding, and he he's got the the infrastructure built from the middle school to the high school that we're building competencies with middle school players so that by the time they get to the high school at ninth grade, they're playing at a level that his juniors and seniors played at when we first started this together. And we were we were talking about that in this similar context. I'm talking about if you don't know it exists, does it exist? If you don't know that playing together with uh, either rehearsing and then playing gigs builds a different type of synergy than everybody can read the notes on a page and blast out their riffs that they learned and on a stage and blah, blah, blah. There's a difference between those two dynamics, no matter the quality of musicians that, that you have, then it's a force in a tree type of thing. And I found myself in Kansas City the force in the trees thing, like trying to talk with someone saying, hey, man, we need to rehearse because of this. Oh, I don't have time for that, you know. And they don't have time for it. it the system isn't built that way. So I, I ended up using gigs like that, understanding that the drum room taught me that I would have to have a steady gig with the same people playing my music before I took them into a, the studio to record an album that I would like. You know, regardless of their talent, their ability, uh, for me personally, I need an album to sound like like it's people. You can hear the difference. You listen to enough music. You can hear the difference between uh, a band that's really just a bunch of studio musicians coming together, and you can hear a band of cats who have developed a relationship over 10, 20 years even if they aren't playing, they're playing different projects, but if you put Mel Dow, Joshua Redman, them cats together and, and have them play the music they've been playing the last 20 years together, they sound like a band, you know. And that's what this drum room uh, gig reflects to me. It's 2007. We were there, I was there 20, 2006 when they first opened it up after the renovation. And then that residency lasted two years, 2007. Then they went a different direction. They had a new food and beverage manager, and he went a different direction with it. And they they remodeled in a different way to where they weren't going to include music. And they were just going to use it as a historic prop, basically, like they do now. So there's no live music there. And the cool thing about the drum room to me, when I got that gig, it was like, hey, man, I'm in, I'm actually playing in the original drum room, the historic place, and there's no other venue in Kansas City that's in its original place. So what I would like to see, it would be nice if they did have some live music there, live jazz music, you know, not necessarily a piano player just sitting in the corner playing whatever. If they do that, that's better than nothing. But it would be cool to see the the history of that honored you know you had Frank Sinatra you had uh, you know all these heavy Duke Ellington played there you know so 
I think I've talked enough. I've talked us out of time here. Do you have any? Do you have any specific questions, Joe? Or well, what I want to do is I'm kind of doing a, a really good retrospective before the year ends on a lot of cats that have released really good music in the Kansas City scene. I, I want to be a little bit more. I tend to go national and international, but I love to go centric and really explore. There's a lot of stuff that came out. And you're one of the top players and jazz minds in this town. And I wanted to make sure that I highlighted this project because it's so interesting and such a historic venue. And I think the the main thing I want to get to, because you did such a great um, uh, a great job of, of explaining kind of the avant nature and how the group came together and what your methodology was, the history, you know, names like Everett Devan, who was such a stalwart in this town for so long. I really want everyone out there to understand the best place to go for your label, for this album, so they can support what you're doing and fuel more projects and bring in cats like Joe Fonda and others into town. So where's the best place for them to go to do that? Well, I think, honestly, the best place to do that would be to go to the Artist Recording Collective.biz website. That's the label website. And an interesting thing, now that you bring that up, we're based in Leavenworth, Kansas, Kansas City Metro, Northwest Metro. And uh, that catalog, that label, there's, there's no label that big that's ever been here in this region. And the catalog will be stored with the historical society. And we are going to archive that there forever. Any, the, the office copies of, of CDs that I've been given, any digital copies that I've got permission from the artist, we are giving those to the state. They'll be permanently archived. ARC has no back catalog. We have among the top, if you go there and look at the artist roster, the way we do our artist roster, anyone who appears on an ARC release, they're listed on, on the artist page, you know, alphabetically numbered. Almost, almost 400, 500 of them are there now. But the, on the albums, page are the people who produce it, the groups that produce those people, but everyone is credited. And on this artist level, when you make a record, you're not trying to be uh, Justin Bieber or Dr. Dre or someone like that or Eminem, something like, you're not trying to be uh, Drake, trying to be a billionaire sales or something like that, get a million YouTubes. You're documenting your career and your work. And most every artist in Kansas City that I know of who's a great jazz artist appears on a record that's on ARC. If you look at the artist thing, you'll find all these names. Kansas City and beyond. I mean, there are people that are big names, and then there are new people coming up. All of those names will be permanently registered with the Historical Society and part of a collection there, the ARC collection. And I think that's very significant because we have no back catalog. If people want to know what's going on, we always have, we always go go to that site, and you'll always see every year there's four or five, six albums that come out, and we don't charge the the artists anything for that. We don't charge them to use the the GS1 UPCA barcode or the ISRC code. They keep ownership of their music. We sh we set them up and show them how the retail side works and how to manage their retail. But I don't know what they make. I don't care. I'm an artist myself. The founders, we, we, we just want a safe place for the music to be. And that's what ARC is. So, 
So I think that's the one of the significant contributions that I've been part of since coming back to Kansas City and observing the infrastructure level of uh, of how how jazz musicians make their living in this age. And then the other thing, I think Casey Jazz Alive. What we're I'm on the board there, and what we're doing is trying to actually be a benign catalyst organization for the scene, and we're finding ways to do that in terms of helping getting the word out, working with venues, promoting what's going on in Kansas City jazz-wise. Look for some things there, too. I've got a meeting coming up with Visit KC to see how that platform can help us as Jazz Alive do that. And, uh, you know, all of this is in addition to the nonprofit organization that me and my wife started to fund, like, our youth jazz program, which is different than anything that's going on anywhere that I've seen. It's a young artist program that allows people to experience the realities before you or during while you're going to college or something like this, before you, you're doing it as a career. You can actually see what it's like because you don't get that anyplace else. And then we have a jazz magazine. We try to do different things. But uh, basically, those projects, my projects are available through Artist Recording Collective Label, I'm a, a touring roster artist member through Mid-America Arts Alliance and the, and the Kansas uh, Arts Commission. And I'm at a point where I'm not doing very much club work. I, I don't do that. I do concerts, I write music, and I've got an originals quartet now with Will Crane on piano, Gerald Space on bass, and Morgan Rogers on drums. And I'm publishing the music now. I'm getting it ready. We've got a gig at Polsky Theater the 28th, who are part of that jazz uh, uh, series they have, the Noontime Jazz Series. Those are the types of things I'm going to be doing at this point in my career. In addition to teaching, I think that's very important. Absolutely. Christopher Burnett, it's always wonderful to catch up with you. Thank you for the music and for what you do for the Kansas City Jazz scene. It's always a joy. Thank you, Joe, as well. And with equal measure, I, I, I hope you have a great holiday, and I really appreciate you putting together this uh this collective uh, retrospective so people can see what's going on here. And the great things that you do in the media, that's very important for the music too because if no one knows about it, you know, they won't be able to support what we're trying to do as artists. Well, it brings so much comfort. It's always bring, brought so much comfort to me if I can just spread that out. And, and as I've always said, and I'm sure I've said this to you over and over, the finest people that exist on this planet, as far as I'm concerned, are jazz musicians. So it's, it's beyond a pleasure for me to be able to be somebody that can put that mouthpiece out to make sure that people know who you are. So, um, yeah, you, you have a great holiday season, a wonderful 2023, and I have no doubt we'll catch up next year and uh, see, what, uh, see what's going on. Well, amen, Joe. Thank you very much. And have a great Absolutely. holiday as yourself. Thanks again, man. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And as usual, thank you to Christopher for being such a pillar of might in this jazz community. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews or Neon Jazz at iTunes or Spotify, or you can visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, Enjoy the jazz, my friends.
Neon Jazz.